All right, the book of Philemon. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 18 this morning. So grab your Bible and open it up. If you found Philemon, fantastic. Follow along with us in verse 8 through 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back right there in front of you. If you don't own one, Merry Christmas early. That's our gift to you. The best gift you can receive, the Word of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the Word of the Lord because it is the Word of the Lord. And you can reply with... We are thankful to God for his word. When you get to Philemon in verse 8, say, it's all because of Jesus. All right, we're about there. Have your eyes on scripture. Follow along with us. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Westside, well, we're glad that you're here. And all cards on the table, I said this first service, I've had two cups of coffee and I'm jacked today, okay? So I'm ready to get after it. But hey, we are in our sermon series through the New Testament book of Philemon. And so we've been taking our time through this short but very powerful letter. And just to catch you up on the context, basically here's what's happening. There is an offended party, Philemon, who is a wealthy landowner and who was very wealthy. Onesimus worked for Philemon and Onesimus ran away, probably stole some money. But they have a common friend on their Facebook list by the name of the Apostle Paul. So Onesimus runs away, ends up in jail next to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, knowing Philemon and Onesimus, sort of reconciles and brings these parties together. The reason why we're going through this is because this letter is packed full of principles about Um, friendship and friendship being difficult, about forgiveness, about freedom. What does that really look like? And basically each week, I know what some of you are probably saying, Jason, we've been reading these final verses like every week. I mean, how much more can we do this? As much as is required, okay? But basically the reason why is because we're looking at this letter from three different points of view, namely the characters involved. So, so, So here's how this is applicable to you. Maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe somebody has done something to you, sinned grievously against you. You don't know how to, how to forgive. How do I do that? Well, then you're Philemon. Next week, we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about forgiveness and the impact of it. And even if someone's been wrong and you're right, what does that look like? And then this week, one of the things we never really talk about about forgiveness is We always talk about forgiveness from the point of view of, like, me being hurt. But what if you're the person who has been the transgressor? 
what if you're the person who did something wrong? What if you're someone who's failed? What if you're someone who's hurt someone and you're sort of shackled by this guilt and this shame and you don't know how to get out of that? Well, that's Onesimus. We're going to learn about that today. And then last week we learned about what if you're just kind of the third party stuck in the middle, right? You got people at work. You got family members, friends. Like Sunday brunch is a little awkward sitting between these two. And we learned last week to be a reconciler, that that's the responsibility of every believer, that we don't just coast through life. But when we see relationships that are fractured and broken, that we are to step into those and be peacemakers, almost like Jesus said. But this week, as we focus on Onesimus, definitely being a pastor, counseling, and talking with people, I hear this sentence a lot. Jason, I, I know God forgives me. I know they forgive me. But I just, I just can't forgive myself for what's happened and what I've done. Now, I need to tread lightly, but I need to tread truthfully as well. Because actually this concept of self-forgiveness is nowhere in the Bible. Right? Do you feel the tension in the room? Isn't it great? Isn't it fun already? Right? So we never see like Jesus say, forgive thine self. Go and sin. We never see that. We actually never have any direct understanding of here's how you should forgive yourself. Here's what we do see about forgiveness. We see first it's a declaration that's vertical. And then what's vertical is lived out horizontal. Like one verse sums it up very well. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. Be kind to one another. Interesting, right, that he's writing to Christians and to a church. Why would he do that? Because Christians are mean. That's right. You know what I mean? And we need grace. So he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Now, here it is. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Sign, seal, delivered. That's it. It's not be kind, tenderhearted, loving one another. Forgive yourself. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. We don't see that. Why? Because the idea of self-forgiveness is very close to self-centeredness. Now, here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, pride is very sneaky. So we think of pride being very puffed up, very confident. You know, I'm not going to name names or anything like that in the political sphere. But you know what I'm saying? Like the idea of pride being out there. But actually, pride can be subverted Inward, self-pity. We call those people Eeyore, right? How are you doing, Eeyore? Okay, I guess. Well, what's wrong? Well, where do I start? You know, so that idea is you're at the center of yourself there. And I love what Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which I highly recommend to you, he says this. When people say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, they mean that they have failed an idol whose approval is more important to them than God's. We're just coming right out the gate today, okay, right? So here's what he's saying. When you say, I know what the Bible, I know God has forgiven me, but here's what you're saying. 
I know that's important. I know God's supposed to be important. I know I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I actually have an idol over here whose approval of me is far more important than God's. You see, the idea of forgiveness in the scriptures is a declaration of what's been done for you in Christ. That's it. And then since we've received that, we give that to others. So, Onesimus. How does a guy who is a criminal, ran away, fractured a relationship, hurt a church body, how does he come back into the relationship? How does he do this? Well, I think the key in the words that we see used by the Apostle Paul don't really have a lot to do about Onesimus, but they have a lot to do about Jesus. So here's what I'm trying to teach you today. Freedom from your failures is found in the forgiveness of Christ. That's the whole point. So we're, listen, we're real positive here at Westside. We want to send you out on a, just a zinger, a positive note. Listen. Everyone's failed, including you. Happy Sunday. We're glad you're here, okay? Real positive, all right? That's the whole point of the gospel. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when you understand that and you understand the need for Jesus, then we can progress and then we can start to head down the road of freedom. So how does freedom happen? Some of you in here today are Onesimus. You feel like you're shackled by guilt and shame. You feel like you've done something in your life that totally wasn't you, that was a mistake, and that was a failure, and now that's not you, but that's what defines you. So how do you find freedom for that? Well, I think Paul tells us this. The first thing that I see that we have to understand is repentance. Woohoo! everybody's excited. No, no clapping on repentance. Okay, all right. Verse 10, look at what he says. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but then verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. But then look at verse 16. Here's the big deal. Here's the identity change. Here's what Paul tells Philemon. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. Especially to me, but now to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's a big deal. So here's what you got to understand about early Christians and early Christianity. Christians were actually slandered by non-Christians, and they made rumors and lies about them that Christians practice incest because they referred to each other as a brother and sister in Christ. Now, even with different ethnicities, races, backgrounds, socioeconomic, anything, they were brothers and sisters in Christ. So that means that's family language, right? So here's what Paul is saying. Onesimus used to not be in the family, but now he is in the family. How? Well, there's a change that's happened. And here's what the scriptures teach us. No change happens apart from repentance. So, if, if I could summarize the Old Testament in one single tweet, 180 characters or less, it would be this. Ready for this? Repent. Okay? Right? All the prophets, Jonah, repent. Jeremiah, repent. Jason, what about Haggai? Repent. Right? It was constantly this idea of repent. Actually, in the Old Testament, the, the, the word repentance used 
57 times. But I know what some of you are saying. That's the Old Testament, man. We're in the New Testament now. Grace with Jesus. Oh, I got something for you. Metaneo is the Greek word for repentance. It's used 64 times in the New Testament. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, but what about the red letters? All right, you fundamentalists out there, you got those red letter Bibles, you know what I'm saying, right? What about Jesus, man? Well, I got something for you too. Mark chapter 1, Jesus' first sermon that he ever preached. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the word? Oh, come on, Wes. You say it with gritted teeth, but that's okay. Come on, I'm going to give you one more go. Say it loud. The kingdom of God is at hand and believe in the gospel. So we see this is a theme throughout the New Testament. Even the verses that Phil read, the idea of coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the book of Acts would say, none come to faith apart from repentance. So it's a churchy word. It's a big word. But so is mocha, spice, latte, or whatever else you order at Starbucks, okay? So we're going to learn a word today. Here's what repentance means. Repentance means turning from sin and turning to Jesus. So, so put Mark chapter 1 back up there and look at what Jesus says here. It's not just turn. So Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. So, so listen, two errors. The word repentance has either been watered down to snowflake, unicorns, and fairy dust and all this stuff, or it's been like a baseball bat in the church. So you've heard repentance, and they've just beat you over the head with it, and the emphasis was sin. Turn from sin, turn from sin, turn from sin. But listen, if you don't turn from sin and to Jesus, it's not a full gospel message. You can't just turn from something without turning to something. So you can't just say repent without believe, but it goes the other way. You can't say believe in Jesus without repenting and turning from your sin. So I know you have two people have questions. Number one, you're Onesimus. And you say, Jason, I've I've thought that I've repented of this. Because some of you find yourself in this cycle. Sin, confess, repent, sin, confess, repent, sin, confess, repent, sin, confess. And and there's never freedom. There's never freedom there. I would say you probably have a misunderstanding of what repentance is. And then some of you are maybe Philemon. You're saying, Jason, this person hurt me. And they say they've repented. They say they've changed. But how do I know? What are the marks of that? And there was a sermon preached by a guy that I, that I know, Ryan Hughley. He preached th- three marks of genuine repentance. I want to share those with you. And listen, I'm quoting another preacher because I want you to understand I don't have this repentance thing figured out either, okay? Just ask my wife, all right? I'm learning too as well. So what are some marks? How do I know that I've repented? How do I know that someone else has repented as well? Well, the first thing is this, a change of mind. I think differently about my sin, a change of mind. So it's interesting. We see in Psalm 51, which is a song about repentance. It's written by David, an Old Testament guy, pretty big deal. David was king of Israel. He sees a woman who's not his wife, 
And because he is lazy and prideful, he takes that woman to be his wife. But in order to do that, he has to send that woman's husband to the front lines to die in a war. Like Michael Corleone, Godfather stuff, right? It's super sketchy. I mean, people say the Bible's irrelevant. My nanny watches stories, right? Got to watch my shows on TV. And I'm like, read the Bible, man. It's crazy. And David writes Psalm 51. Did you know he never mentions Bathsheba's name? Not one time. He never mentions Bathsheba's husband's name one time. But here's what he says. To God, I know that I've sinned, and I've sinned against you alone. Why? Because, listen, here's the difference in remorse and repentance. Many of us feel remorse. Remorse focuses on what you did. Repentance focuses on who you hurt. Namely, God himself. So when you understand true repentance, it's not about the person that you've hurt horizontally. It's first about God. It's a change of mind. And parents, listen to me. This is how we can teach our kids this, okay? So so, so, so we try to do this in our home. And we do this by understanding the gravity of sin. So listen, it's not a story. You didn't tell a fib. You lied. And you're a liar. Mic drop. You know what I'm saying? Right? Your kid will look at you like, whoa, man, that's harsh, man. Right? Because, listen, when you use proper language, you understand it properly. Right? It wasn't an emotional affair. It wasn't a social media affair. My heart didn't wander. Right? Adultery. Use Bible language for Bible terms. So it's a change of mind. You think about that differently. And then the next thing is this that we see. A change of heart. I feel differently towards my sin. So we say this all the time here at Westside. We borrow this phrase from another church. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. So I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about progression. I'm talking about you know now a change of mind, a difference about what true sin is. Onesimus understood this. That it wasn't just Philemon, but it was first that he was a sinner under the eyes and judgment of God. And then when that changed, it broke his heart as to what he did about that. So one of the questions I always ask is, how do I know that I'm progressing? Is this, do you love the things you once hated and hate the things you once loved? A great example of this is anyone who struggled with an addiction. When someone, here's the key about changing in an addiction, is when you understand the very thing you love is killing you. And when that shines in someone's mind and in their heart, they have to see that and hate that. The problem is, is our heart is bent towards sin. So the first mark is it's a change of mind. I'm thinking different now. It's not just this. It's a God issue. The second thing is, 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 is I have a change of heart. I'm feeling different. I, I want to hate that now. I don't want to... And, and, and you put things in place, which is the third thing. A change of direction. I act differently in regards to it. That's the turning. Right? So I, I had a conversation last week with a guy, and we were talking about you know, kind of our past life and, 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 and playing golf. And he was like, man, for me, I haven't played in a while. Um, you know, I try to be careful about who I go play with because, man, I get swept up and I find myself. And next thing I know, I'm like, you know, woo, I'm not playing golf anymore. I'm having a good time on the golf, you know. But do you know what he was saying? I'm aware of my own heart and I can't go there. 
So listen, some of you who have friends, like a best friend, that's the opposite sex, that's, not, that's dumb. Dumb, okay? Quote your preacher. My preacher says that's dumb, all right? Because you can't go there, right? If you're dating, you've been dating for seven years and you're not married yet, get married, right? What are you waiting on? It's this idea of repentance that I used to have this idea of what marriage was, of what my sin was, of what this was, but I'm turning from that and I'm turning to Jesus and his ways. And here's what we realize what it is. Romans chapter 2 teaches us, for it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When you see the beauty of God and the beauty of God's ways, you want to turn from that. But now I have to be careful here because here's what I could do. I could end this here and send you all out like little Pharisees, just checking your list, just going, ooh, I did this today, I did this today, I did this. God must love me because I did this because I did this today. Here's an example. This is a picture of a pear tree that is in our front yard. And I'm reminded that I have a pear tree in my front yard. Every time I mow my lawn and I mow over the pears and it's like mowing over a brick, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a pear tree. But you know what? The Lord's taught me so much. I mean, seriously, like the Lord has taught me so much about the Christian life through, through this pear tree. The fruit grows slowly, right? Just like how you change slowly. You know what I mean? But question, here's a question for you. Does the fruit give the tree life? No, little guy in the front row's got it, right? No. The fruit shows that the tree has life. So some of you who are going to leave here and force repentance and force change, if it is not something that is changed and dropped in your heart that naturally and organically shows itself in the changes that we talked about, then it's not true repentance. John says this in Matthew's gospel, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? It's not that you repent and it produces fruit. You have the fruit of repentance that shows you have a relationship. So back to Onesimus. Paul is describing Onesimus changed and it had to be with repentance. This is very clear. The second thing is this, so I I see a recommendation here. Do you see what Paul is saying, whose father I became in imprisonment? My very heart. He's no longer a slave, but now he's useful. Now now he can serve me, or now he can serve you because he did serve me. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul's vouching for him, right? Paul's saying, no, 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 Philemon. I know you knew this guy. I know that he stole something. I know that he ran away. I know that he hurt you, but he's not that guy anymore, and I'm vouching. I'm putting my name on the line. So here's, what's equivalent to that today is a letter of recommendation. Right? I do these all the time as a pastor. People, hey, can I get a letter of recommendation? Some people ask me, and I'm like, do you really want me to be honest about a letter of recommendation? I'm just kidding. But what, you know, so what do I do? I say, hey, this person would be great to work for you because I know them, and here's the reason why. I'm vouching for their character. I'm vouching for that. Now, notice how these points are building on each other. We have a great misunderstanding about repentance because we think it's something that happens in isolation. So it's like in your private time, right? I lit a candle and I repented today. Mm. Mm. Kumbaya, my Lord, right? But don't ask me any hard questions about it because I did that on my own in my private time. Just me and the Lord. Now, that's great, 
But what we see now, what Paul is saying is, biblical repentance is kind of a community-driven thing. So everybody wants church community. Everybody wants a potluck. Everybody wants a baby shower. Everybody wants to help them move, right? Love biblical community when it's time to move, right? But not when it comes to someone confronting me or someone checking the fruit of repentance in my life. Listen to what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets, right? Jesus with his seeker-sensitive 2018 message, right? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Jesus is trying to teach us something, right, about the fruit thing. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Question, how do you see fruit? You make a judgment. So all of you who have ever had on your Facebook status, thou shalt not judge Jesus, you are wrong, okay? Jesus is meeting motives when he talks about that. You can't judge someone's motives. Ladies, look at me. You can never say, I know exactly why he did that. I know, no, you, oh, you do? Give me the lottery numbers too while you're at it, all right? No, you don't, okay? You can't judge motives. But what Jesus is saying is in biblical community, listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Biblical repentance is confirmed in biblical community. Have someone vouch for you. Is it true? Is the change true? I don't know. Ask Joe. He's been walking this with me for a while. Joe, what kind of change have you seen in Jason's life? I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about progression. And by the way, that's what Jesus meant when he talked about you have the keys of the kingdom to the church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What Jesus is saying is when the church collectively comes together under the authority of the scripture, sola scriptura, and they agree that God's word says that that is a grievous sin, and they come together and say this is a grievous sin, turn and repent from that. And when someone refuses to do that, that is the highest court. What Jesus Jesus says is that's as if God has declared that as well. So it's, it's no joke. And Onesimus understood this. So question, question. Do you have people in your life that can confirm your life of repentance for you? Now, I'm going to make it even harder. Here's the next question. When's the last time you looked someone in the eye and said, you know what, let's go to apology school. You want to do that right now? This is fun. This is great, okay? Here's a biblical apology. I'm sorry for blank, specifically, name it. I'm sorry for blank. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's it. Not, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. What? What? That wouldn't even, what? Did you just hump like coals on me just then? Like, what does that even mean, right? I'm sorry you feel that way. Or I'm sorry I did this, but you, that's not an apology. That's not an apology. So to gauge, do you have people in your life? Here's the question. When's the last time you looked someone in the eye and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me? Anybody? Anybody? See, these are practical questions to ask ourselves. 
But what we see is that through the repentance and through the recommendation of repentance being confirmed in biblical community, it leads us to the last thing. And this is where it's going to be difficult for some of you who find yourself being the Onesimus, the transgressor, the sinner. And it's risk. There's a risk involved here. Because though you found repentance and though you found forgiveness, the other party might not have found that yet. And so when you go back, well, look, here, this is what Paul says, verse 12. I am sending him back to you. Now, this is what's funny about this. Paul's in prison, and he has a scribe writing the letter, okay? So when Paul says, I write this with my own hand, that's a big deal. He's saying, I took the pen, and I wrote this down. But he's probably speaking it, and probably to Onesimus. That's why Paul says, he served me. Now, can you imagine Onesimus going, I am, you know... Um, he's changed. That's great. Father, I became in the flesh. That's right, Paul. I have changed. You're right. I am sending him back. I am sent. What? I'm going. I'm going back. Yeah, you're, you're going back. And it's going to be risky when you do. And the whole purpose of the letter is to prepare Philemon for that reception. And so maybe this will be helpful. This is a picture of St. Patrick's Church in Dublin, Ireland. Beautiful church. This is the inside of what it looks like. Justin, I would preach a three-hour sermon in there, man. I would just never stop. What's famous about this church is um, in Dublin, there were two families who predominantly, think of like the Hatfields and McCoys, who predominantly lived there and ruled the town. They had a falling out because back in, the year was 1492, And Columbus was sailing the ocean blue. All right? I know you were thinking that. And so these two families were actually at odds with each other at the time. Because back then, how you settled things was with a sword. So if you wanted to farm more land, if you wanted to have more business, you just went at it and whoever won, won. One of the families ran in to the church to barricade themselves. Because it was getting so heated. People had lost their lives. And then finally, the leader and the patriarch of the other family was so heartbroken as to what was happening at the lives had been lost that he approaches the door and begins to beat on the door with his sword till he beats a hole in it. And he lays down his sword and stuck his arm in for a handshake. This is actually a true story, and the door is still on display And it's called the door of reconciliation. It's where the phrase comes, chancing one's arm. In the military, if you chance your arm, you have military status. And if you recommend somebody and they don't do what you recommended, you get demoted. You get military rank removed. But one of the parties stuck their arm through, not knowing if their arm would get cut off or if there would be a handshake. And there was a hand that shook the other hand. And they unbarricaded the door and they came together. And that's why it's still on display. Here's what I'm trying to say. All relationships require risk. They just do. 
and the guilt and the shame that you feel shackled by that you can't move into. You say, Jason, I can't go back. I'm not saying that it needs to be face-to-face. Maybe it's a letter now. Maybe it's something. But listen, all relationships require risk. And here's what I do know. You may feel shackled by guilt and by shame, but freedom from your failures is found in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And the God that created the cosmos and the stars and the Milky Way declares over your life forgiven and paid in full because of what Jesus has done. And if that's not good enough for you, then you simply don't understand the gospel. Because there was a relationship. A relationship that was broken. And there was a runaway. You see, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said in his commentary on Philemon, we are all God's Onesimuses. If you believe, why? Because it says, And the Lord God was walking in the cool of the garden, and he called out to the man. But Adam hid himself behind a tree. He had ran from God. But there would be a second Adam that would come, and he wouldn't hide behind a tree. He would be exposed and hang from one. He wouldn't hide from God, but rather he would reveal God. Do you see that God took all the risk to come to you because you were the transgressor. So the idea of being free and, quote, self-forgiveness is actually the idea of not focusing on yourself, but rather focusing on the freedom found in Christ. As the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, we're going to close with what we've closed with every single week, which is the Lord's Prayer. And when we get to that part about forgiving us of our debts... As we forgive our debtors, my prayer is every week that that's like a nail that's driving home more and more and more and more. Because here's what we find out. That if we fought for our rights, that we'd be in hell tonight. But rather, God being the right party pursues us. So listen, I have good news for you today. Those of you who feel like you failed, feel like the relationships will never be the same Feel like that this is your identity. I come bearing good news. And it is this. That when Jesus died, he didn't say that's good enough or that will do or that will cover some of their sins. But rather he declared with a loud voice before giving up his spirit, it is finished. So listen to me. If Jesus says that it's done, why are you still trying to pay for it? Because it's all done. And in that truth is found true freedom. So let us stand and declare and read the Lord's Prayer together before we come and partake in communion. Let's read this out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And God, I know, I know that there's Onesimuses in this room. Because just like the words of Martin Luther, we are all God's Onesimuses if we believe. But God, I pray for the people who walked in today shackled with guilt and shame. And I pray for that individual as they approach this table 
that they leave the shackles here and they walk away free. God, I pray that your goodness and kindness would lead many to repentance in this place today. There are people who've tried to turn from their sin, but they've never turned to you, Jesus. I pray that they do that today. And at the end of the day, I pray that we leave this place knowing that you took all the risk. And in light of that, there is true freedom. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?